Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us. Have you gone out to eat recently? Maybe you noticed an extra charge on your bill at the end of your meal, a hospitality fee or a service fee. Some restaurants have started using these fees instead of expecting customers to tip or have made tipping on top of the fee optional. But what exactly are these fees? Who do they go to and how are they used? This hour, we're listening back to a conversation I had about the history of tipping in the United States. We will hear about why the U.S. is one of the few countries where tipping is still customary. I'll talk with a hospitality professor and we'll hear about what's behind those service fees and the push for higher wages for service workers. But first, I started my conversation with Saru Jayaraman. Saru is the president of One Fair Wage and director of the Food Labor Research Center at the University of California, Berkeley. She is also the co-founder of the Restaurant Opportunity Center, a nonprofit that advocates to improve wages for restaurant workers. Good morning to you, Saru, and thank you for taking time for us today. I understand you're on vacation. Good morning. Glad to be here. Hi. So uh, you have written, Saru, extensively about tipping, and you wrote this op-ed in the New York Times back in 2015 that was titled, Why Tipping is Wrong. What is what is wrong with tipping? So it's, not, it's not tipping itself. There are definitely things that are wrong with tipping, but uh, actually we had, we had written about why the way in which tips have been used in this country to replace wages or to suppress wages that, in fact, is the wrong thing. Um, So tipping originated in feudal Europe. It was created as an extra or bonus on top of a wage always to provide, you know, basically kudos for a job well done from an aristocrat or a noble to a serf or vassal. Mm -hmm. When the idea came to the States in the 1850s, at first, Americans resoundingly rejected it. Actually, multiple states passed prohibitions on tipping. They said, this is a vestige of European feudalism. We're a democracy. You should get good tip service regardless of how much you can afford to tip. And by the way, we think employers should pay their workers, not customers. And that really big populist movement against tipping spread to Europe. The labor movement picked it up in Europe and got rid of tipping in a lot of Europe because, you know, unions picked it up and said, we are professionals. We're skilled professionals. We don't live on the largesse of customers. We deserve to be paid professional incomes by our employers. Unfortunately, in the United States, we went in the exact opposite direction because ad emancipation, which happened just a few years after tipping came to the U.S., ad emancipation, the restaurant owners, white male restaurant owners, wanted the ability to essentially extend slavery, not pay black workers who are newly freed, and have them live exclusively on tips, which was never the original notion of tips to begin with. And and just uh, 40 or 50 years later formed the National Restaurant Association in 1919 with the express purpose of suppressing wages for restaurant workers and even for agricultural workers who supplied the food to restaurants. So we call it the other NRA has been around since 1919 to this day, fighting to maintain as low wage as possible based on the argument that these workers get tips. So in most of the country, the wage for tipped workers is an absurd, outrageous, and ridiculous $2.13 an hour. That's the federal minimum wage for tipped workers. It's under $5 in 43 in 40 states. Mm. 
Mm. Minnesota is one of seven states that got rid of the sub-minimum wage for tipped workers many years ago. But the fact that the restaurant industry in Minnesota continues to be one of the lowest paid industries of all in the whole state is a result of this ongoing lobbying by the National Restaurant Association based on this argument that, you know, these workers get tips and therefore it's okay to have them be paid as little as they are paid. And And so so it was never intended as a a wage suppression, but that's what it's become. So going back, um, Saru, and it's only recently that I I had read the story about um, the history of tipping really being very closely uh, tied to the, you know, the the years immediately after the end of slavery with, uh, you know, uh, restaurant owners and company owners not wanting to, to, to pay formerly enslaved people uh, real wages. Like they, there was a, it was a deliberate attempt to, uh, you know, affect how much money they were making. That's right. And it was hospitality in general. And the story is even more interesting because, you know, just before emancipation, a lot of male waiters in multiple large cities across the East Coast and Midwest went on strike. They had been receiving a wage. There wasn't a lot of tipping at the time. And they went on strike for higher wages. And the restaurant industry just before emancipation started replacing men with women which is how the industry became overwhelmingly female. Two-thirds of tipped workers in Minnesota and the U.S. are women. And disproportionately women of color at emancipation, there were two sectors of hospitality that sought to replace black workers' wages with tips. One was the restaurant industry, which was mostly women, as I just said. The other was the Pullman train company Mm -hmm. that hired mostly black men to serve as porters, tipped porters on the trains going back and forth between the East and West Coast at the time. And those black men formed the first black union in the United States, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, and fought and won the right to an actual wage rather than living exclusively on tips. Unfortunately, the women, the black women in the restaurant industry were not as lucky, didn't have a union, weren't able to fight to get a full wage. And that is why to this day, the National Restaurant Association has been so persistent and successful in their lobbying to suppress wages and say, it's okay, these people get tips. Saru, you did a study that looked at service workers' experience uh, during the pandemic, and it was titled, Take Off Your Mask So I Know How Much to Tip You. What did you find out about how tipping, um, how how it worked during the pandemic? Well, this is what is so extraordinary about the last couple of years. Uh, The conditions got so bad, so unlivable, truly, that, uh, you know, it it was both the worst of times and now, in my opinion, the most hopeful of times ever. Uh, Because what happened with the pandemic? First, uh, we heard from hundreds of thousands of tipped restaurant workers, two thirds of whom said they couldn't even get unemployment insurance in most states because they were told their wages were too low to qualify for benefits. That was an initial for a lot of these workers, their tips didn't count towards their calculation of benefits. And that was an, an initial kind of alarm bell to workers that, wait a second, I've been putting up with a system that never actually should have worked to begin with. I never should have relied on tips to begin with. If the government is telling me they don't count towards benefits that everybody else is getting, that's not fair. So we, we started to hear even then, March, April 2020, from workers saying, I think I'm leaving this industry. But then when they went back to work in the summer of 2020, they reported that tips had gone way down because sales were down and hospitals and harassment way up with thousands of women reporting. I'm regularly asked, 
take off your mask so I can see how cute you are before I decide how much to tip you. And that changed the issue from being one of injustice, gender injustice. We always had the highest rates of sexual harassment in our industry because of the reliance on tips, because of the having to put up with whatever customers say and do in order to get those tips. But it got so much worse with the pandemic. It became, frankly, a matter of life and death. And when these workers were asked to enforce COVID protocols on the same people from whom they had to get tips, they were done. A million workers have left the industry. And of those who remain, 54% say they're leaving and 80% say the only thing that would make them come back is a higher livable wage. And so we are in an incredible moment. You know, I heard the news, which is amazing, Starbucks workers in Minneapolis going on strike. Yes. I mean, beyond Starbucks, full service workers in Minnesota and across the country are saying, I refuse to work for poverty wages anymore, particularly when the cost of a gallon of gas is my wage is only one or two times Mm -hmm. the cost of a gallon of gas. I'm not going to go work for a job where I can barely afford to get there. And then I, you know, when I, the the wage doesn't even cover my transportation to the job. So people are really standing up for themselves in a way that we frankly haven't seen since emancipation. That's what makes this moment so historic. And And in response to the miraculous thing, thousands of restaurants are raising wages way above 15, 20, 25, 30 bucks an hour plus tips. Uh, And some, as you said, are beginning to change their practices as well to try to make them more equitable, palatable, Mm -hmm. appealing to workers to come. Well, sorry, uh, before we move to our other guests, just one more question for you. As I I mentioned in the intro, some restaurants are starting to change uh, or rather to make that change and to charge hospitality fees. uh, And, you know, they say that 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 uh, tipping on top of the fee is optional. So what does this say to you? Do you think that we are really starting to move away from tipping? And in a few years, you and I will be having a, a very different conversation. So uh, we, we are seeing the move towards service charges. We saw a lot of restaurants want to move in this direction after the murder of George Floyd because there's so much irrefutable mountain of evidence now that uh, unfortunately tipping in this country is very racially biased. Uh, that that in fact tipping is not based entirely on the quality of service. It is based on the race and gender of the server, because unfortunately we all have implicit bias as customers. And so many restaurants sought to move away from a situation where customers could determine how much a worker makes based on their race and have a more standardized fee that everybody has to pay this 20% service charge. We have seen some restaurants unfortunately unscrupulously use this to replace tipping with service charges and take away gratuity from workers and that's not good Mm. but the general move to move away from a system where customers with their biases determine whether a, a woman pleases them whether she allows herself to be harassed or whether you know the person is a race that they don't that they're they have a bias towards and that determines the tip Moving away from that to a standardized system where you have a flat fee can be a good thing as long as it's transparent and it's actually given to the workers rather than taken by the employer. Saru, thank you uh, again for your time, for uh, giving us uh, some more information about the the history of tipping and the changes that are happening. Uh, And I know you have to leave us now, but we're going to continue the conversation. We've been talking with Saru J. Araman, the president of One Fair Wage and director of the Food Labor Research Research Center there at the University of California, Berkeley. She's the co-founder of the Restaurant Opportunity Centers United, which is a nonprofit that advocates, advocates to improve wages for restaurants workers. Enjoy the rest of your vacation, Saru.
All right. We're talking about tipping, the history of tipping and the changes that are occurring right now. And before I bring in our two other guests, uh, I want to take some phone calls because we're already getting some calls in from listeners. So let's hear from our listeners in Minneapolis. Uh, We have Carl on the line. Good morning to you. Morning, Angela. Thanks for having this conversation. Yeah. What's going on? I work in a restaurant uh, where we recently moved to this uh, service charge, this hospitality charge. Uh, it's been an interesting transition. My greatest concern has been the transparency. Uh, they basically collect 22% of what's on a guest check and then distribute it back to us on our paychecks. Mm-hmm. That varies every week. So what I have to do is calculate uh, my hours calculate the actual optional gratuities that I get and then try and calculate what my actual wage is, which is overall about 30% less than it was uh, before we moved over to that. It's but, 30% less now than it was before? On on the whole, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, well, it's definitely less, but it varies. So it can be you know, 20% less. If it's a slower week where we're making less money, then my check is much less. If it's a very busy week, then it uh, jumps up. So, so Carl, the have, greatest concern is that there's no, I'm sorry, yeah. Have some of your co- colleagues quit or are you thinking about leaving because of that? Yeah, before the pandemic, um, we had about 50 uh, servers uh, just under that. Now there's only three of us left. So there's been a lot of turnover. There has been opportunity, though, for people who want to get in the industry who've never served before. Uh, kind of the standards have lowered a little bit. So you're, um, you're concerned about uh, just transparency. You, you don't have a way you feel there's a trust issue there or what's the, what is the yeah, concern? That's, my, that's our biggest mm. concern. Mm. Uh, it's also confusing for guests. So people who aren't paying attention, um, who have been in the restaurant before, will tip just like they normally do, mm-hmm. uh, which puts me in an awkward position because, you know, if I get a 20% tip uh, on top of the 22% charge and the guests, you know, they go, a lot of people don't, they just sign the receipt and leave. Uh, you know, my concern is that, you know, they go home and look at their check and say, oh, wait. He didn't tell us. He was... <laughs> I didn't know that was right. going on. So there's a lot of confusion about it. Um, uh, There's good and bad. Uh, Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Let's take another phone call. Uh, In Shoreview, uh, Bjorn is on the line. Good morning. What did you want to tell us, Bjorn? Hi. Uh, So I just wanted to call in and say, so I'm 16. I work at a a locally owned ice cream shop, and Mm -hmm. our base wage is only uh, $10 an hour. Mm-hmm. And with tips, I've I've calculated it out for some of the really busy shifts. Um, probably the max we get to is like thirty. So I just wanted to say it makes a really big difference for people who come in and uh, just give us a little bit on top of um, what we make per hour. Mm-hmm. The the tips it helps it adds up. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Uh, I want to bring in our other two guests now as we talk about the history of tipping, changes to tipping, why people tip, why they don't. Uh, we have with us Paul Bagden. Paul is a professor of hospitality at Johnson and Wales University in Rhode Island, where he researches guest service and tip elimination. Hi, Paul. Hi, good morning. Thank Hi. you for being here. Yeah. yeah, thank you for waiting for us. And uh, also we have with us Teofio Reyes, the Chief Program Officer for Restaurant Opportunities Centers United. He is joining us uh, from Philadelphia. Good morning to you, Teo. 
Good morning. Hi. Nice to be here with you. Okay, a lot to talk about here. Uh, so, Teo, uh, you you are out there um, pushing for workers around the country. And what have you heard from uh, restaurant workers and other types of workers uh, who rely on tipping? What are their thoughts on tipping right now in, in 2022? Well, uh, it, the, the last experience of the last two years has definitely changed uh, the perspective of a lot of, uh, of people towards tipping. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, we have a different system all around the country, right? There's states that don't have a subman wage, but then the federal one is $2.13 an hour, which is which is really unlivable. Uh, say that again. For, I'm still trying to process that. The, yeah, absolutely. The, the tipped minimum wage is $2.13 an hour, and there's uh, over a dozen states that have that, that where workers have to live with that wage um, and die with that wage. Uh, it's It's really insufficient. Um, and the, but what the pandemic has done is it has really increased tip insecurity. And so there's a lot greater, I think, uh, concern about wages and understanding that tipping is not a stable system uh, to really ensure uh, a livable wage for anybody. Now, Minnesota um, is one of the few states in the nation that requires employers to pay tipped employees the full state minimum wage before factoring in tips. And so is that that's significant? Is that enough for workers to make a livable wage, Taya? Uh It helps. It's not enough, but it certainly helps. It helps a lot. Uh, and you can see, you know, the poverty rates are, are much lower among workers, restaurant workers in Minnesota than in, uh, in, the, in those states with $2.13 uh, hourly wage. Uh, but, you, but it isn't enough. And you need to, you know, the, uh, until the wage is high enough to really provide a livable wage, tips are, are sort of a necessary component to get people up to that wage, up to that rate. And we need to look, look at other factors, right? I mean, that could impact this health care, for example, child care. These are uh, these are costs that bring down someone's ability to, to stay above poverty and to, and to thrive. Uh, and so those, you know, you can factor those in. But the, the bottom line is, even though the wage is higher in Minnesota, and it needs to be higher, it's still not enough to, to meet workers needs. And what do you think about this shift towards um, some restaurants you incorporating a, a hospitality fee, a service fee to try to create, you know, a more equitable way of distributing tips to, to everybody involved, the cooks and, and the dishwashers. Um, is, is that a good thing? Uh, it can be. It can be a good thing. But when I go out to eat and I see that service charge, I immediately ask, are you actually getting this? Because that service charge, the employer can do anything they want to do with that. That is not uh, a gratuity. And so the employer can choose to, uh, to, to give it as tips. Uh, in which case that's, you know, that can be a good thing because not everybody understands the, the, the tipping norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, it's, it's, it's without transparency, the employer can do anything they want to do with that fee. So do you get the impression there are some workers who are saying they, they don't know that they're, they're actually getting that money, that it's getting passed on to them, whereas with a tip, they know that's for them? Uh, right. With the tip, they're legally required to give that to, to receive that supervisors can't uh, take any portion of tips uh, by law uh, but with a service charge there's it's, it's not a gratuity and Paul what are you hearing uh, in terms of you know from workers particularly restaurant workers service workers about you know changes in tipping and how much they rely on it for their income well it's very interesting um, there is no one straight answer to this but you see, Uh, a few different demographics. Uh, One would be the the transient worker, um, the the temporary server. Uh, They're doing this job in 
uh, as a, a stepping stone uh, while they're a student or part-time and uh, doing something else. Um, they tend to be more risk-takers. And uh, as Taylor had mentioned, uh, yes, in some states, tip-allocated wage would uh, dictate that their cash wage should be as low as $2.13. However, the restaurants are mandated uh to pay them at least state minimum wage if their tips do not make up the difference between uh, the 213 and whatever the state minimum is, even if it's, which could be uh, federal minimum wage 725, but it could be as much as $15 an hour. Um, and, and so that's interesting. Being risk takers and transitory uh, with somewhat of a higher turnover they tend to say, okay, well, I'll take a little bit less uh, on these days, you know, with the opportunity to perhaps make, you know, hundreds of dollars on a, a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night. And uh, then on the other side, you, you have professionals, you have people who uh, are in the industry who really have the passion for it. It's more of their career. And they see things differently. They do. They're, they're just not in it for a quick buck. They're going to be working full time. Uh, it is quite difficult for them. If, if you think about the uh, tip allocated wage being as low as two, three dollars an hour, uh, the average reported tip hovers around ten dollars an hour uh, as an average for workers in the United States. And that's reported. Uh, everything on a credit card gets reported. Not as much of the cash always gets reported, but you know, that's kind of a, a side issue. Uh, the government has done good things to try to uh, close that loophole there. And, uh, and Paul, yes, you, what can you tell us about how other countries do this? Like, how does tipping in the U.S. compare to other countries? <laughs> uh, tipping is largely a North American thing. This is uh, that's, this, that's as, it's just us. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much just us. It, it, there is some in other countries, and it's lower. Uh, but many other countries, Asian countries in particular, uh, servers are paid a fair wage. The service is actually quite good. And uh, you don't worry about a tip. It's all included. Let's take a phone call from Mankato. Dane's on the phone. Hi, Dane. Hey, Angela. Hi. What, what did you want to tell us? Well, I've got a, a bistro that I just opened in Mankato uh, called Alpine Bistro. And it, it, it does really well with tips. Uh, you know, just I want to say... I'm probably a median income type person. And since the pandemic, I've, I've noticed that I've tipped a lot more than I used to. Um, and I just for services of any kind. Um, and, and the other thing I was, when Paul, or I, I can't remember who was on previously, but um, in other countries, like when I go to other countries, uh, especially Latin America, uh, Central America, I feel like I'm tipping a lot more there than I would ever have to tip here. Um, and maybe it's just because of the, the way that I'm feeling down there or, you know, how, you know, what I'm seeing or, or I'm, I'm not sure why that is, but for some reason I feel like there's a lot more tipping in those regions. Um, but then the other thing I have is I have an outfitter uh, that does kayaks, stand-up paddleboards and, and canoes, and it's called Bent River Outfitter. And that, that one I have a really hard time, like the, the, the staff is paid, you know, I don't have a lot of extra resources to pay my staff a lot. So they make a normal, a normal wage um, and rely on tips heavily. And so what's a normal wage? See... They're making minimum wage? No, a normal, I, you know, we hire on at about um, $12 and then they kind of work their way up as the season progresses to 14 And then, 
then and then tips. So um, guides, you know, lead guides will make more. They'll make in the eighteen to twenty twenty two dollar range. Um, but as far as just like an apprentice or a guide in training um, or a boat washer or say a, a shuttle driver, um, they would they would they would make in that twelve to fourteen dollar range to start. But we we really we have to come up with strategic ways to kind of almost put in the face of the consumer that tipping is a really high, high priority for these staff members to want to be involved in this position. Um, and so it's almost like we have to put like a sign in our van, like tips are very, very welcomed and thank you for tipping or, or your workers will quit. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. We don't, you know, it's a little tough because there's, um, there's just, there's not a lot of people that have the experience to be able to take people out on the rivers. Mm -hmm. And so we, from the get go have, you know, a limited supply of staff of Mm -hmm. people in our community that can even do this. And then, um, you know, and it's, like I said, it's not a, but Dane, some would say if, if you have a limited number of people who can do the job, so they have specialized skill, why not pay them more? Why isn't their hourly wage more? Well, and that's just it. So we have, you know, in our marketplace, it's, it's driven by how many customers we get paying uh, what they can pay to, for an experience that they value to go down the river. And when we set mm-hmm. our prices, it's based on that, um, mm-hmm. what it costs to run an outfitter. And then, you know, the, the whole business model there is kind of determines what we can pay our staff. So it, it's kind of a, it's the whole, it's the whole cycle that makes it difficult. And then I suppose, um, it's like a lot of places and a lot of industries in this country, it's those frontline workers that get, you know, they probably get the brunt of, of, of what it is that, um, you know, if without tips, it would be very difficult, I think, for them to survive on what I can afford to pay them as a business owner. I understand. Dane, thank you for calling. That's Dane and Mankato sharing what he's seeing with tipping. Let's take another phone call uh, from Greater Minnesota. This is Peter on the phone. Good morning, Peter. What do you want to tell us about tipping? Good morning. Um, well, the thing is that, like, so I've I've uh, been in a family business for uh, my whole life. Uh, we're third generation, um, and my servers make really great money on the floor. They really do. I mean, we're talking upwards of you know sixty, seventy dollars an hour some nights from tips and from from tips. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I report. I make my servers report all their tipped money, and that is, you know, taxable money, which I pay my matching share on for my payroll liabilities and stuff like this, which is what you're supposed to do. Well, there's a lot of restaurants that don't do that. And so then you end up with these people that had issues getting COVID relief because they didn't have a high enough wage. Well, if they would have reported all their tips in the first place, they would have had great COVID relief. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, um, you want it one way because some, some companies let their people not report the tips, you know, because they want to put it in their pocket and, and not have to pay taxes on it. But then on the other end of the world, when something like this comes along, they're screwed. And Peter, what's been your experience in hiring and retaining staff? Uh, my retention is good. The hiring has been really hard the last uh, couple of years. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I have I have servers that have been with me for decades, literally. Um, and but the the applications coming through the door, uh, no nobody nobody wants a job because it's tough and it's stressful, uh, even though they make great money. And so, Paul and Teo, let's talk about this, how tipping today can be discriminatory, uh, both sexist and racist. Uh, Paul, what influences um, have you seen, like how much a customer will tip? And, and does, does this sound familiar to you? It does. Um, actually, it's uh, racial. It's uh, discriminatory. On uh, It's sexist on different levels. It's uh, on the side of the server as well as uh, the customer. Uh, You'll also see that certain customers have uh, perceived or have reported getting less service as a result of their race uh, or if they're international, uh, because uh, I think this popped up. One of the people said, uh, one of the callers said that when he goes to other countries, particularly South America, well, mm-hmm. if you're an American in another country, they still expect you to tip, unfortunately. They want to see American standards. So uh, it's it's a really interesting thing. We see that there is the historical, there are the historical facts that are indisputable. Uh, in the United States, Tipping really took off after uh, the Great Prohibition. Sales were down, and then it really formalized with Congress and the government uh, in the 60s. Um, They tried to tighten up things in the 80s, and we've really been seeing this for about uh, 60 years now. And and this is the tipping model that everyone is really accustomed to. As they tried to bring in other things such as uh, the service charge or eliminate it, uh, because admittedly it is unfair uh, across the board. Um, It came up with a lot of resentment. Like even the customers didn't like it. People are so ingrained into this social norm of tipping that they feel bad if they don't tip, even if it's included there, they they might want to do more for uh, someone. And, And it also, change the relationship between the service manager and the service provider. Uh, Before that, customers felt like they had a certain amount of control. I don't know if that was good or not, uh, but they they do feel like it. And that, of course, led to some harassment. Thus the saying, uh, take off your mask so I can see how much to tip you. Um, They had power. And with service charges, they felt like that was taken away from them. And then, of course, uh, as another caller said, the, the wages went down with that. And uh, they went down. It was a, an interesting thing because it is hard to get labor uh, for all positions in a restaurant. It's incredibly hard to get cooks and as well as servers, but also dishwashers and porters and things like that. Uh, so with the service charge, what Danny Meyer had done with his classic model uh, that he has since rescinded uh, was he distributed some of that to the back of the house workers, the dishwashers. So then the dishwashers were also making a little bit more money easier to hire them because cooks were making more money, but then the public and the servers just didn't like it. And they ended up actually uh, stepping back from this a little bit. Uh, We also see millennials um, that they embrace this with the ride share with Uber and such. And and they were just fine with it. It's, it's, it's kind of our, our older generations that, that just, continue to proliferate this thing and, and keep it going. And Te- uh, Teo, what would you add to, you know, just discriminatory uh, behavior that, you know, you hear about when it comes to tipping? 
Well, I mean, that's that's a it's a complicated topic. There's certainly discrimination in the type of tips that uh, workers receive, um, but in general, you have you know portion of the industry people are able to earn really good uh, high paying uh, wages, like twenty percent of the industry. It's fine dining. Um, you see really good wages, and those positions tend to be overwhelmingly. Uh, dominated by uh, by white male workers, um, and you have this relationship where, as the wage de- decreases, the demographics uh, shift as well. So uh, you know it's 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 a really complicated story. Um, the, the I think the bottom line is that uh, tipping is not reliable for the majority of the of of the workforce in the industry. Um, but one thing that I think there's an opportunity now because of the pandemic, because of what's happened, because people are actively seeking work outside of it, uh, outside of the industry, uh, that we can address a lot of these issues. And I, I, you know, I've, I've seen some evidence of changing demographics in these in these fine dining restaurants, which I'm I'm very happy to see, but I don't have any data to look at it. But uh, the relationship is is strong. Like if you look at, you know, we we know. Majority of, of, of tipped workers are women, 60, 70%. When you go to uh, cities that have much higher wages, it's going to be majority men that are tipped workers. So there's, there's a relationship also between uh, who gets those positions, uh, you know, and why. In St. Paul, Flynn is on the phone. Good morning, Flynn. Howdy. Hey, what's going on? Well, it's interesting to hear this conversation uh, about, like, wage and uh like talking about like the the necessary tipping because I I worked in a restaurant for the last couple of months. I quit uh, for the summer. What were you doing, uh, Flynn? What kind of work were you doing? I was a dishwasher. Mm-hmm. I was a dishwasher. Okay. And I love being a dishwasher. It's like my favorite job I've ever had. Uh and but I can't really justify working there because the, like it's never really livable wage uh for back of house work. And whenever you bring up the conversation of like we need to tip uh, the people in the back of the house. It's taking away money from the workers in the front of the house, which also feels unfair because they have to interact with the customers. And so it's kind of this really tough situation of like, we need more money, but we don't want our coworkers to have any less money. So, so. a bad dynamic, uh, the, the atmosphere, the tense between workers? It's not. I don't think it's tense, but it definitely does not promote like necessarily good conversations when Right. involving tipping mm-hmm. and it just like I, I i get why they want to and i feel like i whenever i go out i tip as much money as i can i'm obviously pretty like i'm not a very i'm very broke i guess to say mm-hmm. uh but like it, it feels also just kind of yucky to be responsible for the wages of like people when you go out to eat or like go out to get coffee and that they're company isn't paying them enough money and that you're in charge of kind of making sure they can pay rent or for food Mm. or for bills. Mm -hmm. All right. That's uh, Flynn calling in from St. Paul. Let's take another phone call Uh, in Minneapolis. Aaron is on the phone. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. Hi. What can you share with us? Well, I just wanted to add the point of a lot of people in the service industry don't get health, uh, medical and retirement benefits. So, Adding that um, tip to our wage is very helpful. Mm-hmm. 
And so what kind of, uh, precisely what kind of work do you do, Erin? Um, I'm a server and a bartender Okay. for over 20 years. All right. Let's take another call in St. Paul. We've got Kathleen. Kathleen, what did you want to share? I work in a laundromat and I don't get tipped. I can do a guy's clothes, $500 worth, and I'd be there for nine hours. Washing and folding, not a dime. And then mm-hmm. he'd come back a month later, $400 worth of clothes, not a dime. We don't get benefits. We're sitting there washing, folding, wrapping his clothes. It's crazy. You know, people, they need to tip. So, Kathleen, do you think that um, that, that people, that your, your customers, that they don't realize that, that tipping is an option? Like maybe he doesn't, maybe some of the customers don't realize that, that that's an expectation or that it, it, it would be you welcome. You know how much 500 pounds of clothes is? I can't imagine. I would give you it's a big nine tip. nine hours of constant yeah. work. Yeah. I, I can't stop. He's picking it up the next day. Mm-hmm. It kills me. I don't get no benefits. I don't get nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Kathleen. Tip your laundry people. Mm-hmm. Kathleen and St. Paul calling in. Um, Teo, you know, you're working on a, um, a, a bill of rights, a restaurant workers bill of rights. Tell us more about what rights you're, you're advocating for. Well, so because of this, of the last of the, these last two years, it really clarified, you know, all the problems that that are in the industry and also the, the, the opportunity there as well. And so we're bringing workers together, asking them to, to let us know what they want to see in a restaurant worker bill of rights, help us put it together uh, so we can advocate for, for the future of the industry that's really beneficial to everybody. Uh, the key thing that people are bringing up right now are wages, uh, just making sure that there are there are higher wages. But you're also looking at issues about insurance. You're looking about uh, ben- you know basic benefits, uh, making sure that there's health and safety in the workplace. And also uh, one of the things that we're having conversations with people is around bodily autonomy and end up and being able to participate in governance. That includes you know the right to form a union, but also the right to have your voice heard in society. Uh, so we're really looking at this holistically. Uh, but the idea is to help advance um, a, a common agenda to, to raise wages and improve working conditions in the industry. And, and Teo, how do people interact with you? Uh, it sounds like you're working on this uh, Bill of Rights. Like, do you need to hear from folks? Do you need feedback to know what you should be including in the Bill, Bill of Rights? Yes, we're doing listening sessions with workers all around the country. We're gathering surveys. As a matter of fact, we, we have a, a text system. People can text Bill of Rights to 40817. Uh, and that'll take them right to the survey and give us uh, information. And also they can sign up to do more work and, and help bring their coworkers along as well. And so so this is a text line. Tell me that number again, Teo. Uh, yeah, text Bill of Rights to 40817. Okay. And and again, you're with the Restaurant Opportunity Centers United. Um, Paul, I, I want to ask, ask you this. Um, as we talk about sort of the tipping, I mean, we heard from the, the woman who called who works at a, a, a laundromat. Uh, tipping used to be primarily at dine-in restaurants, but now, you know, it has really expanded. Uh, I see tip jars or, you know, as part of payment too, an option, tipping at coffee shops, uh, very casual dining restaurants, um, door dashers, Uber drivers, tip options. Is We're seeing it expand. Is that right? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Absolutely. Um, and well, times are not great with the economy and uh, labor cost is, is one of the typically one of the highest expenses uh, in restaurants. It's cost of food and cost of labor. And as these things uh, go up and uh, inflation continues to go up, other businesses have beyond have gone to jump on the same bandwagon. 
And uh, some of this is prompted by their customers uh, asking for a way to give more, which I didn't initially believe, but uh, as I looked into it, that is the truth. And, and a lot more of it also, and it, it, it's an added incentive to uh, the employees there. So um, originally, yes, it was mostly just people in the hospitality industry, uh, but then now it has uh, gone up to a few years ago, we did a list and we got over 50 different uh, businesses, types of businesses that uh, you are expected to tip. And that wasn't just around the holiday season. Five zero uh, fifty. Five zero fifty. That's mm-hmm. correct. Everyone, everything from getting a tattoo to uh, someone bagging your groceries at the store uh, and, and all of that was it, it's very easy. Uh, for them to put out a tip jar or have a little a small sign that says tips are appreciated. And for the manager or business owner who wants to facilitate the wages, uh, it, you know, it was kind of an easy decision for them. Let's take another phone call as we talk about tipping and Matamidai. Alex is on the line. Alex, thank you for waiting. And what do you want to tell us? Yeah, real quick. You know, I'm a former server and I, I, I love the idea of tipping. <clears throat> kind of keeps me in control a little bit. Uh, and as far as the woman with the laundry, mm-hmm. you know, God bless her, but put a sign out. I have, I, I don't think that's offensive to ask for tips. I, I would never, I would never think necessarily of tipping someone in that position. So, mm-hmm. but my experience is uh, recently we had a, a restaurant. I'm sure it's probably one of your favorites. It's one of the best patios in the Twin Cities, just off of downtown. We sat down. We just went over there for dessert, and uh, we ordered uh, without the menus or anything. So, anyway, the server when she brought her bill. We had three coffees and four desserts. Um, anyway, she said, oh, by the way, there's a 21% surcharge on your bill. And we're like, whoa, thanks for telling us. You know, because it was, it was easily $100 uh, just with the, the, what we just ordered. Just coffee and, and dessert. And the tip order. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the question is, somebody told me that, that service charge actually is optional. Is it? And then the other question is, if we don't pay it, what then? So you're ta- you're talking about the shift towards uh, service charges and hospitality fees. Um, is you know is it optional for who for the for the customer? For the is customer? it optional for me to pay it? If they say yeah, there's a 21 percent service charge, can I say you know what? I prefer to tip on my own. Thanks anyway. Because and generally, I, I you know and, mm-hmm. and it, I love tipping because it gives me the opportunity to kind of a one on one to say to the person, hey, you really took good care of us, especially mm-hmm. with dessert because I know I'm taking up a table. Uh, at a place like we were at, you know, yeah, we spent a hundred dollars on dessert, but you know, in that same time, we probably would have spent three, four hundred dollars on dinner. So well, I get that. Let's have our guests uh, talk about that, uh, Paul. So you heard the question there. So if a restaurant has has shifted to a hospitality fee, a service fee, it's there. Um, can a customer say, "Nope, I don't want to do that"? Is that an option, Paul? Um. This is a little bit outside of my area, but I, I do believe that they have the right to decline that. However, if the restaurant makes it known in writing or they announce it as they did in this situation. Because um, sometimes it's on the menu. I see it on the menu. Then it's announced. Then it's in writing mm-hmm. and, and they'll know that. Okay. Absolutely. And very few people actually will ever uh, challenge this. Mm. What about uh, you, Teo? What are your thoughts on this? Uh, the problem is is that the service charge can be added and it doesn't have to go towards a gratuity. It doesn't have to be uh, shared as tips. And it does, if it's on the menu, if it's noted that you're, that a service charge is a part of the, of the bill, I think you have uh, less chance of fighting it, but essentially you're going to say, 
you know, I'm not going to pay this, I'm not going to pay this bill uh, or this portion of it. So there's, you know, there's some legal ambiguity there uh, and you'll have to demonstrate that you didn't know that there was, that that service charge was there. But the biggest concern is the fact that the employer can do anything they want to do with that charge. Mm -hmm. And so how do you make sure that that's actually going to the staff? I think that's the biggest problem. And Teo, in our last 30 seconds here, as you work on this bill of rights uh, for restaurant workers, what's your dream? What is your hope? Our hope is that we have an industry with a thriving wage for everybody. You know, we don't want to talk about living wages. We want to talk about thriving wages. We want uh, both the industry to thrive and and everyone that works in it to thrive along with it. You've been listening to a, a recording of a conversation I had last year about tipping, its history, and how it's changing. My guests included Paul Bagden, a professor of hospitality at Johnson & Wales University in Rhode Island, where he researches guest service and tip elimination. I also talked with Teofio Reyes, the chief program officer for Restaurant Opportunity Centers United. That's a nonprofit that advocates to improve wages for restaurant workers. And earlier in the hour, we heard from Saru Jayaraman. She is the president of One Fair Wage and director of the Food Labor Research Center at the University of California, Berkeley. She's also the co-founder of the Restaurant Opportunity Center. Thanks for listening. Be safe, everybody. And we will talk again Monday at 9 a.m.